of Arcana. I am Ariana Roberts, and I'm joined by my co-host, Gabrielle Roberts. This podcast looks deeper into current events, literature, and the themes behind them. Today's topic is about justice, the importance of justice, and working with the law versus outside the law. Yes, so we're going to be looking at To Kill a Mockingbird. I think that's a perfect example of looking within the law uh, to... And outside of it, right? Yeah, um, well, not really outside. I think superheroes would be a better example to look outside of the law. That is a great point. So sort of a lawyer versus vigilantes, kind of. Mm -hmm. And so for a brief synopsis of what... To Kill a Mockingbird is, for people who haven't read the book, it's set in Maycomb, Alabama, which is in the Deep South during the 1930s. That was before civil rights, correct? Yes, that was. Uh, Good point. So, Tom Robinson was a black man on trial defended by lawyer Atticus Finch, and it was narrated by his daughter, Scout. And throughout the book, Scout had to face lots of bullying from her peers, as well as even some adults like Miss DuBose and, well, from her peers, we had Frances. Right, right. Which um, bullied her because of her father defending Tom. So, if I recall, Tom did not, was not freed. And what's interesting is that, what do you mean by is not freed? Well, Atticus failed to free him from punishment. Oh, so because so he wasn't able to get off or be innocent. Yeah, right. Because the town couldn't overcome their racism, even though the book, I think, made it pretty clear that Tom Robinson was innocent. Yeah, they put a lot of uh, emphasis on that. Yeah. So, um... Atticus Finch, I think he really represents sort of the hero of the law because the trial they showed was very unfair. But it's not like Atticus Finch went off to like free him from the prison or something. Once mm-hmm. it was over, he had to accept it. Although they described him as feeling, you know, a bit sad for a few weeks. But I think he was also disappointed in the country. I mean, in the, the county. Yeah, county. The county. County. Yes. But he didn't go outside of the law to try to free Tom Robinson or get justice. He worked within the law even when he failed. And I think he is still a hero for that. Even though he didn't succeed, he's still a hero. Right, because he was trying to do the right thing within the law. Yeah, and I believe even in the book, there was a bit of vigilantism, wasn't there? There was yes, it was the um group uh Mr. Cunningham and the Angry Mob who Right tried trying to, to kill him yeah. kill Tom Robinson before the trial. Yeah, they were trying to seek their own justice because they were worried that Tom Robinson would get off during the trial and so they tried to take matters into their own hand and kill Tom Robinson. Right. I think the racism and the uh and the uh taking the law into their own hands kind of compares to the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, and it's a it's very interesting because they're kind of bad vigilantes. And in a lot of vigilantes that people think of when they hear the word vigilantes are sort of superheroes. Like Batman. So that's why it's interesting to see both aspects 
of how vigilanteism can really turn wrong. Because in superheroes, we see them as, well, even in the name, heroes. Right. But then there's also, like, the angry mob of Mr. Cunningham in To Kill a Mockingbird, or like you mentioned, the KKK, and mm-hmm. that's where vigilanteism is bad. Right, and you also notice that in real life, you have more examples of vigilanteism being bad. Yeah, and which is why we can see the importance of having justice within the law versus outside of the law. Mm-hmm. But you notice like this almost this like spike of popularity with vigilanteism, especially um, in movies now, because I and I don't really know why is maybe the question is like is it because like people don't trust the system anymore and now they're more they like this idea of vigilantism and people taking their own hands to seek right justice yes yeah we see all these people are idolizing vigilantism now having them as their heroes and idols because we don't really see any people working within the law as their heroes. We don't see like a lawyer as a hero. We don't see policemen as heroes really. Right. I think that's also because right now in current events, let's there's a lot of times where it may be hard to like believe in, believe the, in the system. system. Yeah. And so perhaps it's mistrust in the system that is causing people to lean on more achieving their justice outside of the law. Right. But connecting back to the um, to kill a to mockingbird, kill a mockingbird um, there was not a lot of trust in Atticus, especially from that mob. They thought that Atticus would like bring down, like bring him to justice, and in in turn like was sort of a failure. Do you know what I mean? No, can you please elaborate? Yeah, like, they didn't trust, they didn't like how the law was turning out. Like, they didn't like that the, that Tom Robinson was getting justice because of their racism, which is, which is wrong. I don't know how to put this in, like, right words. Yeah, like, with the mob, they were, they were afraid that Tom Robinson would be let off, so to speak. Right. And they, they had their own racist, prejudiced ways and even if they didn't see it uh the book described an angry mob as not really seeing any much sense but with their own way they were afraid that they wouldn't achieve their own justice which was getting tom robinson in jail yeah and well he got like a hanging sentence right right so we can also see though what's interesting in to kill a mockingbird that the system was prejudiced against Tom Robinson. Even though we put many things into place that makes the system fair, the system had in some way failed Tom Robinson into seeking the truth, into mm-hmm. perhaps the town was too racist or prejudiced. Right. Or well, the, the their s- beliefs wouldn't let Tom Robinson free. The system relies on the people, you know? And if the people... And, like, the majority of them are, like, prejudiced, then the system will also fall at the same time. You need to have a just system in order to have a just, like, system of law. Maybe the rise of popularity in 
in vigilantism is because even in To Kill a Mockingbird, Atticus didn't achieve freeing Tom Robinson. He wasn't able to free Tom Robinson, and that is why maybe vigilantism seems more appealing to people because they're fighting through their own method and their superpowers and things like that to get the way they want. So a good question to ask on another note is why was the book put in Scout's view in the first place? Why not through Atticus's lens? I think maybe it's because Scout was sort of innocent. Scout had this innocent view of the world and she didn't understand a lot of what was happening. For example, like when during in front of the jail when they were going to kill Tom Robinson. Yeah, no, Mr. Finch? He is. He's asleep. Don't wake him. You know what we want. Get aside from that door, Mr. Finch. Walter. I think you ought to turn right around and go back home. Heck, Tate's around here somewhere. No, he ain't. Making his budget. That changes things. Jim, go home and take Scout and Dill home with you. Son, I said go home. No, sir. Well, I'll send him home. Don't you touch him! Let him go! Let him go! That'll do, Scout. Ain't nobody gonna do Jim that away. Now you get him out of here, Mr. Finch. Hey, Mr. Cunningham. I said, hey, Mr. Cunningham, how's your entertainment getting along? Don't you remember me, Mr. Cunningham? I'm Jean Louise Finch. You brought us some hickory nuts one early morning, remember? We had a talk. I went and got my daddy to come out and thank you. I go to school with your boy. I go to school with Walter. He's a nice boy. Tell him hey for me, won't you? You know something, Mr. Cunningham? Entailments are bad. Entailments. <coughs> Atticus, I was just saying to Mr. Cunningham that entailments were bad, but not to worry. Takes a long time sometimes. What's the matter? I sure might know how I'm cutting you. No harm taken, young lady. I'll tell Walter you said hey. Let's clear out of here. She didn't understand the danger that she was in. And it kind of brought other people's views into, <clears throat> it brought those people, the angry mob, to see, I guess, their wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. It's the innocence that she has that caused them to see light of what they were doing. And also, she doesn't have any bias or prejudice into one way or another. She 
she had a very clean view of things. So if we're taking this in this like innocent and clean view look, why don't you think Harper Lee let Tom Robinson win the trial in the first place? I think perhaps that, I think she's trying to show that sometimes even through the system, the system can fail people sometimes. And that even though the truth may be found, that the people aren't always freed. And though it might lean other people to find vigilantism more appealing, it's just the truth of the matter. There are unfair trials. There are unfair cases. They get wrong results. But we have to think about the benefits of the system as well. It has its flaws, but overall, it it's fair. At least, at least through vigilantism, Tom Robinson would have been killed without having his voice heard. But in the trial, at least they he was considered and he People was tried. Did. People did, in the end, after the trial, realize like the terribleness of it. Yeah, people did realize that Tom Robinson was innocent. Mm -hmm. And they described later in the book that people knew Mr. Ewell was lying. And even though the system had failed Tom Robinson, would that idea have been brought to light that Tom Robinson could have been innocent? That was a great conversation on it. So now I'm going to be introducing our next interviewee, Mark Zaid. He owns a comic book store, it's called Esquire Comics, and he's also a lawyer focused on national security law. So he sounds like a perfect guy for us to interview. He represents or is an expert on both sides of the justice we're looking at, both working within the law to achieve justice and outside of the law to achieve justice. Yeah, and yeah, I'm... Um... I'm pretty sure that he uh, won a lot of awards in Washington, D.C. Uh, since 2009, he was profiled as the D.C. super lawyer. Um, yeah, Mark Zaid is also the executive director and founder of the James Madison Project, a Washington, D.C.-based organization with the primary purpose of educating the public on issues relating to national security. Uh, yeah, he's actually also a professor at John Hopkins University and is teaching national security policies there. <coughs> uh, hi, Mr. Zaid. First, I would like... call me Mark. Oh, Mark. Uh, first, I'd like to thank you for... Uh, spending the time, I know you're pretty busy to be able to go on to the podcast. So, uh, my pleasure, Ariana. Um, have you read To Kill a Mockingbird? One of my favorite books. Perfect, because I'm using that as sort of an example as law. I kind of got the idea for justice versus vigilantism by reading the mm -hmm. book. Yeah, so I thought it would be, you know, perfect because you own a comic book store and you're a lawyer so you're like the expert so yeah, now uh, Atticus Finch is he's like probably the best 
fictional lawyer who's out there. I think he's a, he's a really interesting hero because a lot of the heroes nowadays, they don't really follow the law. They kind of have their own moral code. And yeah, very so true. Superheroes are pretty popular now. Do you see superheroes as vigilantes? Some of them are definitely vigilantes, and it's it's actually fascinating to kind of look at superheroes from a legal perspective of whether they operate inside or outside the law. Now, sometimes it's it's obvious there is actually a character called Vigilante which was a DC comic book character from around 1983 to maybe 1986 or so, something like that. I forget how it went for about 40 issues and it's usually about, uh, well, maybe about 30 issues goes about 12 issues a year generally. And Vigilante is, was a district attorney and a judge at, at different times. I, I think he became then became a judge after being a, a prosecutor. His family was murdered by criminals who had targeted them because he was either the prosecutor or the judge. And so, as a while a lawyer by day, he became a vigilante at night, dressed up in costume, mask, everything, so nobody knew who he was. And he would hunt down and kill, and sometimes capture, but sometimes kill the criminals. Uh, you know, I can't get more vigilante than that. But if you look at some other characters who, you know, probably you would know, like Daredevil, mm -hmm. a Marvel comic book character, who, uh, the modern Daredevil, there was one in the 1940s, but the one who we know was created in 1964, and Matt Murdock, is a lawyer by day and either day or night, you know, becomes daredevil. And if you, if you watch what he does, most of the time he's trying to act within the law. Uh, and he, there have been times where he struggles with whether or not he uh, should either kill the bad guy or if any type of, physical altercation ends up in either serious harm or death to the bad guy. He struggles with it because he really does follow the rule of law. Uh, Netflix has a Daredevil series now. It's gone. It's, and I think, I think they created about two, two seasons worth. And this issue often comes up in the episode uh, as they have a law firm uh, and are defending uh, different criminals uh, and, and trying to help people against the system while at the same time being a, a, a superhero, mostly uh, in the series at night, uh, fighting crime and, I mean, causing a lot of damage, frankly, to the city. So there, there's a lot to it. Even if you look at Superman and Batman, Batman was the ultimate vigilante, actually. Historically, when Batman was first created, he was viewed as nothing better than a criminal. I mean, the police were after him all the time, thinking he was a criminal, uh, even though he was fighting crime. That we, we, we knew that. And, in fact, he killed in the early days when he was created in 1939. I mean, nowadays, you wouldn't expect that of Batman. He's supposed to be this law-abiding superhero. But in, in many ways, 
these superheroes really do operate outside or outside or skirt the rule of law. So these the heroes that you mentioned, like Daredevil and Batman, they're like considered heroes and idols for a lot of people. So at what point do you draw the line between superheroes and angry mobs? Like in To Kill a Mockingbird, the angry mob that wanted to kill Tom Robinson, or even in real-life examples like the KKK. Right, and, and certainly an Atticus bit stepped up and, and, right, and stopped, along with his daughter, Scout, who helped sort of stop the mob, um, by, by sort of identifying them individually and shaming them so that they all walked away, at, the, at least the, at the first instance. Of course, later on, Tom ends up getting killed, uh, I think, if I remember, when he was in jail. Um, you know, sometimes there's, there's not a lot of difference. And it, the last Captain America movie, in some ways, addressed some of this issue, which Captain America Civil War, uh, where the Avengers was, in fact, being declared illegal uh, by some of the others, by some of the countries, because historically speaking, when you look at comic books, until really the last, let's say, 15 or so years, there was never any focus on the damage that was caused by superheroes, whether damage physically to people or structurally to buildings and, and structures and things like that. Um, in, in this latest movie, which dealt with the issue of while saving um, a bunch of, I forget what country they were in at the time, while, while, while thwarting a terrorist attack, they ended up killing scores of innocent people and, and you know, millions, tens of millions of dollars of damage. And, and they were doing so uh, as was decided, I think they were, if I remember part of the, the UN was deciding, you know, look, who, who the heck are you people? Uh, you know, you're not operating under any country's uh, code of ethics. You're not operating under any country's guidance. You're, you're certainly working alongside of different countries, you know, mostly obviously the United States because they're all, they're almost all Americans that, well, not all of them, but most of them. Uh, and yet, you know, you're basically doing whatever you want with no thought to any consequences. Um, so, it, it, and, and whether in making those decisions, you know, essentially they're acting, you know, as, as a mob. I mean, you can make that analogy and, and at times I think it's probably even somewhat difficult to defend that there's that much difference other than at the end of the day and most with most superheroes who are recognized by uh, those let's say the generations of the 75 plus years or 80 years of superheroes now uh, you know at the end of the day they typically do the right thing they stop short of killing the person they make sure the person goes to jail they do their best not to violate the laws, so there's a moral compass that exists, at least in superheroes, that you don't usually see in mob rule, and you certainly don't see in the KKK. So is there sort of a mid-ground between working within the law and outside the law? Like, for example, Martin Luther King encouraged like peaceful civil di disobedience, but never violence, because the laws themselves were unfair. So is there sort of a middle in between... Uh, 
like causing collateral damage and um working with the law sort of yeah i mean there there always is and sometimes the difficulty is deciding where that line is between civil disobedience and sort of inappropriate unlawful activity i mean if you look at our own country's history our founding fathers were committing civil disobedience you know they were they were breaking the laws that existed set by England and King George the 3rd i mean when they threw the tea into the water in the boston uh, harbor you know they were they were destroying property they they caused damage to people's livelihood um, you know they were breaking the law uh, and sometimes when the laws are unjust you have to take that into your own hand but the the problem is always deciding where where that line is so what in a lot of the work that i do now with whistleblowers and particularly in national security arena there's often this this debate of where that line is in for example releasing classified information that might reveal wrong wrongdoing i'm sorry i just stepped on my cat <laughs> jumped there for a second uh and so when when i'm guiding whistleblowers through the system we're trying to do our best to, to do it lawfully uh, because I, I never want to release classified information because it the damage understanding the damage that it could cause is generally incredibly difficult to ascertain and most people who release classified information have no understanding of what those consequences could be but when you look at somebody like uh, an Edward Snowden who was someone who released classified information there are many people who consider him a hero a you know a modern day superhero for doing what he did and then there are many people who consider him nothing more than a criminal and indeed a traitor i mean there's and it's so it's very subjective uh when i teach uh, a class a masters class at john hopkins i always ask people where do they place edward snowden and the scale goes from traitor to patriot and depending on who you talk to and depending on what country they're in what part of our country they might be in where they fall ideologically that answer will differ significantly and it that's not too different for as far as looking at um superheroes as well so do you think that Atticus Finch in to kill a mockingbird went far enough uh did he exist too much in the justice system and he should have went a little into more of the vigilante side because of just the unfairness of to kill a mockingbird the racist jury what are you that's, that's a fantastic question that the answer to that question will differ depending on who you ask it of and in particular how old the person is and what kind of life experiences they have had and in in answering that question a person has to understand or acknowledge the limitations that existed in the racist system and biased system legal system criminal justice system that Atticus Finch was operating in and how 
represent others going forward. The South today would be very different than when he was in that system. Um, I'm trying to remember what what decade that story was. The right book came out in what? In the 1930s, pre-civil, pre-civil. It was was basically uh, having taken place in the time uh, when the author had grown up as as a young girl. Um, So he went in the context of the time that this book, this story took place, Atticus Finch went much further than most lawyers would have in his situation. The mere fact he was even representing Tom as a black man accused of raping a white woman Many lawyers of that day would never even have done that. Uh, but at the same time, he, he recognized the limitations of the system and clearly the unfairness, particularly with respect to the jury and the bias that existed. And then with the, the mob mentality and the notion that he was then killed, executed, essentially uh, murdered in jail. I see this type of thing even in my work uh, in the national security field, whereas there are certain things that I could do to push further, but the consequence would be so severe to me personally and career-wise that I would lose all effectiveness, if not destroy all effectiveness in fighting further fights. So you have to make that decision in each individual situation. There could be justifiable criticism of Atticus Finch for not going far enough, but when you take into Understanding the context and the venue and the time frame in which he operated, he went much further than anyone else probably would have uh, in that town that he lived in. So why do people see vigilantes more as heroes than lawyers? Do you think it's mistrust in the system? What could be the cause? Well, some of it is that people can use vigilantes to project things that they would like to see done or even do themselves. You know, nobody really sheds a tear if, say, you know, if a drug dealer uh, is, is killed by someone. Or there was a very famous case uh, about a man named Bernie Getz, who in the New York City subway um, felt he was being harassed, or in fact maybe was being harassed, by uh, a, a, a group of about five African-American teenagers. Uh, And he pulled out a handgun he had and just started firing. And I think he paralyzed at least one of them. I don't think he killed any of them. But he was prosecuted. And at first, nobody knew who he was, as I recall. There was big stories in the newspaper about this vigilante. And on some level, lots of people were cheering because this guy, you know what? He wasn't, he wasn't going to take it anymore. He was tired of being harassed by these people on the train, these kids on the train, uh, who the police couldn't stop because the police didn't have enough people on, the, on each of the trains in the subway system. And lots of people, lots of small, you know, the small little guy, you know, was cheering that he did it. But, you know, we can't have people acting in that uh, vigilante-like manner because... Then we have this law, lawless society. It's sort of the wild, wild west, and we're far more advanced than that. But there, there is often this case and recognition that 
the legal system doesn't work properly, there is a sort of cheering for vigilantism uh, because sometimes it can fill the gaps that lawyers or judges or courts are, are unable to pursue through the system. Um, I think it's far and few between where those types of cases frankly happen, if you look at it at least statistically. Uh, and the ramifications, if we allowed it, would be so severe to completely cripple our society that, uh, you know, we, we sort of can silently cheer on vigilantes, but we have to publicly condemn them. Who do you think is the most popular superhero now? And why do you think they are? Because I was noticing that there's this big trend in uh, Batman as being really popular. vigilante like in robber barons so uh, he was more so as as they you know so remember superman is basically one of the first superheroes that at least from a super being that was created uh, he was created in 1938 well at least he first appeared in 1938 comic modern comic books had only existed for five years at that time and most and the first two years were all really reprints of newspaper strips. And the first new story didn't come out until 1935. And you didn't really have the type of comic characters like what we have in our lifetimes. So when Superman was created and appeared, 
they were really exploring how best to have those types of stories. And we're becoming somewhat popular. Then we went into World War II, uh, not too long. Obviously, it started one year after, actually, but in Europe. Uh, so there was there was all sorts of of steps that they were taking to try and figure out how to develop the characters. And the difference also, when when you've grown up with comic books, the comic books that exist in your lifetime were created and written for adults. The, most, the average age of a comic book reader, or last I heard, was like 27 years old. When the comic characters were created in the 30s and 40s, they were written for kids, um, for 7 to 15-year-olds. Much, much, much different storyline between the decades. So that, that's something also that has to be taken into consideration when you sort of explore how these superheroes were created and what messages they were trying to send to, uh, to the communities. So which heroes today are like Atticus? Could you name a hero like him anymore? Or are there more just vigilantes now and we don't really have a person that works in the justice system anymore? I think Matt Murdock is very much like Atticus Finch in many ways. Uh, he, he's maybe what Atticus Finch would love to have done in the sense of fight the system as far as you can as a lawyer during the day and then do what is necessary in the evening, uh, which would be beyond law enforcement. You know, not worry about search warrants and the Fourth Amendment. Um, not worry about... Uh, the exercise of uh, proper force, uh, compatible force, depending on what the crime is, or preventative force, whereas the, you know nothing, no crimes have yet been committed, but trying to stop the person. Uh, I'm sure there are. I don't. I, I honestly, I don't know a lot of the new characters that are out there. I'm, I'm an old school superhero collector, so I know the old guys. Um, from decades past, uh, kind of stopped with the '80s. Uh, so there, I wouldn't doubt there's there's a there's some real close characters now. Again, because comics are written for adults, uh, I, I bet you there's a there's an adaptation of *To Kill a Mockingbird* and Atticus Finch as a superhero uh, who does just these things. But at least going back on what I know, uh, I would say Daredevil Matt Murdock is is very much a uh, an Atticus Finch type. Well, thank you so much for your time and this great discussion. I really enjoyed talking to you. That's uh, just fantastic. It's a great topic, Ariana. Enjoy it. Well, that's lots to think about. So what have we learned? What can we take away? Clearly, as we discussed, Atticus represents working within the law. And superheroes, which we also discussed, represents working outside of the law, as many of them are vigilantes. And you really need a balance. In To Kill a Mockingbird, Atticus, while he is a hero, is stuck in the current system. But that system is racist, and the system was broken. And the racism defined the law. We can hear from Atticus's own words that he embraces the system, even though the system is not fair, even though the system is broken. And that's, I think, why he wasn't able to save Tom Robinson.
the defendant is not guilty. But somebody in this courtroom is. Now, gentlemen, in this country, our courts are the great levelers. In our courts, all men are created equal. I'm no idealist to believe firmly in the integrity of our courts and of our jury system. That's no ideal to me. That is a living, working reality. I am confident that you gentlemen will review without passion the evidence that you have heard, come to a decision, and restore this man to his family. We can look to Martin Luther King when he spoke of this and he said when the system is unjust basically uh, you have to protest it peacefully. Uh, that I do feel that there are two types of laws. One is a just law and one is an unjust law. I think we all have moral obligations to obey just laws. On the other hand, I think we have moral obligations to disobey unjust laws because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. I think the distinction here is that when one breaks a law the conscience tells him is unjust, he must do it openly, he must do it cheerfully, he must do it lovingly, he must do it civilly, not uncivilly, and he must do it with a willingness to accept the penalty. And any man who breaks a law that conscience tells him is unjust and willingly accepts the penalty by staying in jail in order to arouse the conscience of the community on the injustice of the law is at that moment expressing the very highest respect for law. So Martin Luther King kind of represented a sort of a gray area between working solely within the law and outside of the law. And perhaps this was more effective than Atticus's complete work within the law. Uh, thanks to our listeners. If you have any, any ideas for future episodes, please email us. And tune in next episode for more. <laughs>